and welcome to the DEI India podcast where we dissect the Indian workspace from a diversity and inclusion lens and talk about building an equitable workplace. This is your host Yashi and I lead the diversity hiring practice at Lakshman Resources, the knowledge partner for this podcast. Today we have with us Pallavi who is the founder of Ungender where they do wonderful work around legal workplace compliances. She is also a LinkedIn top voice on diversity, equity, inclusion and she's a posh advisor. Uh thanks so much for being here with us Pallavi. Um I'm really glad to have this conversation with you. Would you please tell us a little bit about yourself and your work? Yes. Um I think you have done a pretty good job of giving all the keywords. Um but yeah, if if you have to summarize it, my my favorite introduction these days and for the past couple of years is as simple as that. I'm very much invested in making sure that workplaces and the people working in those workplaces become better colleagues, better managers, um better leaders. Um they're nicer they create a more respectful and dignified environment for every person who's interacting in the workplace and uh, that is what has been the key focus area of our gender be it through legal compliance be it through capacity building interventions be it through generating data for companies to understand how, how their employees are um, interacting with each other in the workplaces better and uh, yeah that's me and that's our gender that's wonderful to know and in fact on that note let's uh, you know i have a question for you how do you think can employers create a safe and inclusive workspace for queer individuals uh, especially when it comes to preventing and addressing the issue of sexual harassment i think the first thing that has been missing out from this entire and we have been at it for almost at least i have been at it for the past 20 plus years now uh, um one first and foremost thing that employers can start doing is by not giving this uh, onus to their hr people now of course we call them people success teams we call them lnd heads and uh, dei heads all these all these additions and all these addition to the titles in the organization are amazing right because somebody still needs to execute it but uh, the owner still needs to be part of the boardroom conversations that means that this is not something that you can hire somebody to do and then expect that they will be able to complete it um it all starts from the leadership first and foremost understanding that all the terms that you said in the statement right first and foremost they need to understand what does it mean to be queer Right. right what are we talking about who are we talking about right that's something that is largely missing from the conversation how many leaders in the boardrooms are actually sitting and uh, learning in the classroom to understand this number 2 safety right to make safe workplaces for queer individuals how do we understand safety right right now we are not just talking about safety in terms of professional growth we are talking about safety in terms of somebody to be even be able to be part of your workplace Right. so there's an entry barrier itself um and that leads to this uh, dichotomy where a lot of leaders will end up telling you that we don't really need to think about it palavi or yashi that we don't even have queer people in our organization right which takes it a step back i can say that how 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 did you end up to be a workplaces where there are no individuals that you know um are representing right um so there's an entry barrier which is first and foremost the safety concern that is there for me that maybe individuals are applying and i'm sure individuals are applying but are they able to clear off all those gates that have been created right. when they interact with the representative of your organization are they able to feel comfortable enough or feel welcomed enough or plain basic and simple let's just call it indifference indifference in the sense that there is no bias as long as you have the talent you're welcome right for them to be able to enter your organization that's when the next question starts that now you're going to make sure that not only have you welcomed individuals in your organization but uh, what do i need to ensure what do i need to do to ensure that uh, they're growing in a dignified workplace Correct. where people around them the existing team and the team that will come in the future um understand uh, that 
we need to shift things. When I need to say we need to shift things, first and foremost, most basic, Yashi, our language is so outdated. Um, the content that we have consumed from our college days or the learnings that we have had from our college days and which gave, which only gets upgraded, I think, um, by the movies that we watch or the books that we read, um, podcasts that we listen to, uh, how many of the leaders are selectively and consciously going and consuming this kind of content, not, not just for themselves, but also um, not supporting, not even forcing, but encouraging their team to learn, you know, to learn and to grow and to create a more inclusive language and thought process in order to create that safety that we are talking about in question here. Okay. And third is uh, uh, not to look at these interventions from an expense perspective, but more mm -hmm. as an investment. Right? Even till today, we are, we are putting all these learning and uh, capacity building interventions under employee engagement activities. These are not employee engagement activities. And I think that's why most of the time we only see a rise in these conversations or even the demand for looking for individuals, maybe somewhere around Pride Month mm -hmm. or any other month or any other day that comes around the year. Because that's when you want to pick up a certain uh, budgetary requirement and say that, okay, have we done this? Uh, that's the general theme that is there right now. And I'm sure that if we actually start looking at around the year, how many times these demands have come and at what time these demands actually uh, go to a certain peak, we can easily say that when the whole world starts talking about it, is that's when it becomes part of this conversation that, okay, we also should be doing something and we also need to pick it up. It's a good thing as a change, as a starter, mm -hmm. but is it really going to, uh, to, to, to make the dent that is needed for us to fast track this progress? Uh, that's a different story altogether. Uh, that's very interesting. And, you know, that's making me wonder, uh, you know, in your opinion, what could be certain steps that uh, employers or, you know, managers can take to ensure that uh, their anti-harassment policies or their policies in general in uh, the offices are inclusive of all gender identities and sexual orientations? Um, I think the, once again, I, I, I'll go back to the language part of it, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. uh, of course, uh, when the Sexual Harassment uh, Prevention Act came into picture, all of us know that it has categorically included the term woman. Okay. in its uh, name itself mm -hmm. right um in 2019 when transgender persons protection of rights act came into picture it has its own mandates that companies and employers have to follow but of course it's going to take its own time by 2020 there were a couple of judgments that already highlighted that by the time uh necessary institutional elements are being put in place both from the government side as well as the monitoring bodies from based on those judgments the POSH Act and the definition of women should also include now the definition of or individuals mm -hmm. who identify as women. Having said that, is that enough, right? Why do we have to wait for government mandates like that to right. actually include that change? So what are what are visionary companies doing? Visionary companies, when now they're drafting their policies, they're not just talking about sexual harassment of women or individuals who identify as women. They're just saying that, hey, sexual harassment could happen to anybody, right. irrespective of what gender, sexual identity and orientation that uh, they identify with. And uh, this is how we are going to be <clears throat> looking at it. But you know, what the piece that is still missing there, Yashi, is that we are easily writing all genders. Okay. Right? In the policies also, when you will read the most inclusive policies, mm -hmm. it still says this policy is for all genders. Right Now, there is a basic fundamental flaw here wherein most of the people don't even know what we mean by all genders. Most of the people don't even know how is gender and sex different. Gender, sex, sexual orientation, how are these different? Right. If you don't specify these terms, the irony is people who are consuming this, which is your employees, or if you tell your HR that, hey, we have to be very specific about it. Mm -hmm. And right now in my conversation, I'm just focusing on the leaders because somehow leaders expect that HR should be able to do it. I'm saying that 
yes, it's not possible for the leaders to know everything and do everything. But somewhere this line of questioning has to come from them only. Okay. That why are we just writing all genders? Can we be more specific? Because when you are more specific, you're also becoming a little curious about what all is out there. And who all do we need to create these policies for? And do we even have the necessary mechanisms to actually enforce these policies? One simple example, when you just write all genders, the most common understanding that people will have is that okay, it is for men also and it's for women also. That's the most basic and most common understanding. Now, from there, what translates into awareness activities is that now we are not just talking about sexual harassment that is experienced by women, cis women. Um, yes, how a trans woman experiences it, it's still missing from the larger narratives of awareness activities. But we have included how a man experiences sexual harassment in the workplace also. But what about the others? Right? Where are those examples? We are still not talking about those examples. In fact, when we talk about what can make a cis male offended mm -hmm. or sexually harassed is, for example, if uh, the, the, the cis male is actually not portraying the, the macho characteristics. So the okay. examples will be mainly around that, okay, if you will start making fun of a man because he wears pink, mm -hmm. that could be sexual harassment. Why is our conversation stopping just there? Why are we not going deeper and saying that what is actually so funny and offensive about it? Mm -hmm. right? So it has to go to that depth. So first and foremost, specify very categorically that when you say you intend to prevent, prohibit and extend redressive sexual harassment or, you know, uh, as, as an incident in your organization for everybody who are those everybody. And then make sure that you call in individual experts to talk about each and every representation. It's not, It's we don't have that many examples. If you call a woman, she will have a lot of examples to talk about how a woman goes through sexual harassment in workplace. Mm -hmm. How many examples do we have for men? How many examples do we have for queer individuals? We don't, our vocabulary, our language, our examples are not that dense and expansive as a fear. So can we actually go and find experts who will come and have detailed conversations about it with the people in the organization? If you take care of these two things, then the sensitization is done. You have educated your team members. Mm -hmm. Yes, of course, as and when then incidents will still happen. Your IEC has to be strong okay. enough. But these two things are the most crucial things. So what I'm getting out of this is like, obviously, uh, language is a very essential tool, right? And a very powerful one. So one is that you have to explicitly specify uh, what do you mean by all genders. And the second thing is, of course, to get in experts to make sure that there's sensitization around uh, the whole policy as well. Absolutely. So, I mean, that sounds great. And, you know, on the other side of things, so what I'm wondering at this point is what would be certain resources that are available for queer individuals or just people of all genders who have experienced uh, sexual harassment in the workplace? Um, See, if the company has an amazing job, yes, mm -hmm. there could be so many, so many of those avenues which are available, right? We see a huge rise. And I think in the past one decade, if you look back, there are a lot of ERGs that have come up, right? And ERGs are also now becoming, employee resource groups are right. also becoming very dedicated, because what it initially used to be just to extend a regular help, assistance to your team members, now it is becoming further categorized and segmented to say that, hey, if you are a woman, then this is your resource group. If you are somebody who identify as queer, this is your resource group and so on and so forth. For male members, however, I still don't see any resource groups as such, which is, a, um, which is something that needs to be picked up. But ERGs are there. How, how common are they in the larger companies? Mm -hmm. Yes, they do exist, but startup ecosystem, SMEs, leaner teams, we don't really have that much bandwidth to create such resources, right? A lot of external organizations are creating this, wherein you can get them on board, you can have a very reliable, confident, expert partner to, uh, to, to, to rely upon 
to extend these services and uh, conversations to your team members even if it's not internally possible for all of you so that's one number two of course your internal committee should be there to be take care of to take care of all these things um but it's for me for me that's a little bit of a uh, uh, once again a dichotomy i issue okay. if your ic is not trained and there are still various ics i mean five out of 10 ics that i still actually deal with on a day to day basis even though they claim that they have been around for quite some time they are still not trained right the fundamentals are missing even for the base understanding of the law because the employers have not invested in their training and their knowledge building so if the base level of knowledge is missing i don't really know how equipped they are to now handle complaints and grievances in a very sensitive and empathetic manner um outside the ambit of receiving them just from cis women so that's a little inadequate mechanism which is existing right now um these are the two main things i don't really want to go and look towards hr to do this because honestly speaking i think hr is really exhausted mm-hmm. um a lot of things are already there on their plate responsibility all kinds of things come there right um yes of course as a as a head of human resource or a people success team however the new titles that have come that keep bringing more specificity to what exactly is their role and contribution mm-hmm. in the organization i do get it that the expectations are really high from hr and a lot more than what they used to be 5 years 10 years or 15 years ago um, but at the same time i think hr also needs experts in their team to be able to lead these certain verticals then there's also this uh, a little bit of confusion right because when we talk about employee rights in the workplace from the ambit that you are talking to me about right is this really an hr issue because hr is like good to do good to have uh, should do kind of things whereas we are talking about the fundamental aspects which are non negotiables so should they fall under the legal and risk or should they still continue falling under the hr hr is supposed to do all the good things and uh, you know uh, like the cherry on the top kind of thing like take care right uh, create engagement make sure people are Uh, the job satisfaction and engagement and delight all those factors are there but uh, when it comes to the fundamental rights of me as an employee in your organization um that you have to provide for should that not come under the legal instead of the human resource is uh, where yeah. slight bit of confusion is yeah i'm still dabbling with that because for me as long as it's a fundamental thing uh for me this is legal and it's a huge business risk and i think it's a very uh, important question and a very pressing one as well because you know there are certain uh, or there are uh, life cases of sexual harassment that keep coming up every now and then but very few of them actually get resolved or you know very few times people are actually able to kind of you know get uh, certain closure to uh, any of these cases it is it is and i it's still surprising to me and that's why i keep bringing back to either it should be the risk of chief uh, risk officer who should be looking at it or it should be the finance uh, the, you know the cfo who should be looking at it because at the end of the day it's a cost to the company or it should be the legal uh, counsel who should be looking at it um for me from where i sit this is not something that should anyway fall under the hr uh, okay. it should fall at the intersection of either of these three important roles in our organization the whole business i mean come to think of it uh, yashi if if you're non compliant as per the legalities your business license can get cancelled is this really something hr should be looking into or is this something your legal should be looking into right if you're non compliant for repeated uh, uh, offenses and there is a case um, and against the employer there is also a police procedure criminal proceedings that can get started is this something which is a risk to the business or is this something which is uh, employee engagement 
and uh, on top of it you know what what i'm thinking at this point is that um, a lot of fortune 500 companies still have certain procedures right but uh, what about the smaller organizations of say around 50 people or around 80 people who ideally in a lot of cases do not really have experts on the panel or even their hrs you know are sometimes not able to tackle with these issues with uh, enough sensitivity um hr should any day not handle this thing yashi because yeah. uh, um hr cannot move till the time there is a budget assigned to them see hr is a cost center right so the only way hr proves their um their contribution is by uh, is by is by saving right so for example reducing employee attrition or uh, uh, making sure that employees are more productive and so on and so forth so that's their contribution right so every time that is what hr is working with but when we talk about people uh, people filing legal suits against the company okay or uh, a non compliance because of which your business license can get cancelled or in the case of listed companies even severe consequences right this is where you need to understand that this is such an important piece of activity that must be done and not just must be done must be done in a way specific manner where the where the risk of not doing it in the that manner is so high that uh, the mandate should rest with somebody else somebody more uh, more invested in the business continuity somebody more interested in the uh, in the filings and existence of the business it's an existential issue it's not an engagement issue right so when it comes on the shoulders of hr hr will not be able to do it hr will do it what is being told to them and for me once again it goes back to the leadership what is it that leadership understands if i got put together all the leaders and get them to understand the the, the magnanimity of this entire aspect that posh compliance it is a compliance the name itself says it but i don't know why people just somehow mix it that you know we have to do posh you don't have to do posh you have to do posh compliance somehow the word compliance is getting missed out from the entire statement um i think that's a that's a big uh, takeaway for every one of our listeners you know especially uh, people who are leading certain segments uh, so the kind of crowd and the kind of uh, structures that we see in uh, companies say across the metros which is mumbai bangalore delhi are is sometimes uh, pretty different from how things really work in smaller cities right and um, especially uh, smaller or say tier 2 cities a lot of uh, there's, a, there's a there's a huge uh, chunk of population where knowledge is missing a uh, huge chunk of workplace issues that kind of come up uh, which get really difficult to deal with so um you know kind of taking a step back i'm wondering what would be some long term solutions right uh, that we can look at to prevent sexual harassment from occurring in the first place um that could again probably we'll go back to language and you know creating awareness and so on uh, but mostly for marginal, marginalized communities like queer folks um certain yeah. preventive uh, measures that you think can work out for all kinds of people yeah i and because i've been at it for so many years you know yashi what i've come to realize is that there's no bigger push than either the monitoring um, authorities being yeah. very stringent right now what i mean by the monitoring authorities is that um if you tell companies that you have to do something and if you don't do it then there are consequences then you make sure that you leave by those consequences it's almost like telling a child don't eat the candy and mm-hmm. if you eat it then this is what will happen right if what will happen you don't do it then the child is never going to listen to you so right now we are dealing with companies in the india ecosystem wherein they don't really care that much because yes even if the law says that you're um, you will have a fine how many companies have actually got that fine on repeat violation you will have double the fine how many companies have actually done that fine right so that scare is gone so 
yes as much as i would appreciate that the companies start looking at the uh, business growth and positive outcome and be able to compare it with uh, that you know if if you are a safe and an inclusive workplace um, for all for 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 all right you're not just talking about make it for women right make it for everybody and right now i'm talking about the entire lgbtq segment that we have and of course more right um do businesses really understand why so a good long term um base would be mm-hmm. for and the onus is on people like you and me by the way because i don't think businesses are going to do this case study on their own is that what happens or how does your business grow uh, when you actually are able to achieve this um what costs have gone down um how much productivity has gone up just because of this just because you were able to consciously put these things in place so if you take away the fear then we have to make sure that there is some reinforcement i don't want to go around giving awards to companies for doing what is human and what is plain business sense so yeah. i will not say that award them or reward them but if they can see that there is a direct correlation between building a safe and inclusive workplaces for women for queer individuals for members of the lgbtqi community and everybody mm-hmm. who is or want to be part of your workplace be that kind of workplace is there a direct business outcome that you can actually identify and not in the economic sense of it right because what it is going to add to the economy maybe it is going to add 2 billion dollars i don't know whatever money that it's whatever amount that is the sad thing is that it's too complicated a calculation for me as a business owner to do that uh, what 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 uh, piece or share of that pie is going to come my way right nobody wants to do that kind of hard work so somewhere we have to we have to as uh, advisors as consultants as entities which work with different companies we have to show them that direct correlation that's one so, uh, sorry the first one was uh, monitoring the authorities becoming yes. more stringent second is showing them a direct correlation in their business third one is uh, once again i'm coming back to the fear part of it educate the beneficiaries so that they have more questions to ask um the push can be external the push can be internal this is another one of an internal push wherein people like you me or anybody who's on the receiving end is going to demand this is going to ask these questions more and is going to actually put the companies into the corner and say that what is it that you have for me or if only you have these specific um policies frameworks mechanisms and so on so other things in place is when i'm actually going to join your company sadly there's a, the bargaining power is very low right so it may not always work out so what's going to do what what's going to work in this particular scenario is that at least if i am not in the position to demand you to perform or put all these things you know, measures in place at least i am educated aware enough and have a voice and a platform that as and when you falter as and when something negative happens with me in your organization you should know that i am not just going to quietly leave that place i'm going to make a noise right now that noise could be in the form of demanding you that you take up these complaints demanding you to actually do a proper inquiry um if you refuse to do that then you should know that i am once again going to reach out to some external authority and make sure that they put the pressure on you to pick these things up right okay. so i am not uh, helpless as a employee of your organization um you don't want to put proactive efforts sure don't do that but be ready that as and when things will go wrong i'm not going to leave this place quietly or i'm not just going to continue uh, staying in the same situation that's the third one um if we can do these three things right in the long run um you're good i think uh, you've touched uh, starting from a prevention to you know what what you can do as a measure if 
at all something happens so and and i think that's a full circle there uh, no i'm a very positive person on some days and not mm-hmm. so positive on some days so on positive days i'm really hoping that companies should be able to do this much of a basic calculation in their head right um, it's actually no rocket science it's just that the intent is not there right now uh, which brings me to my core point that these conversations about employee safety just the way that post covid uh, we concern so much about employee mental health right everybody is talking about it everybody is concerned about employee mental health do we understand the intersectionality of mental health right now do we understand uh, that when we say mental health you know when mental health became such a common concern is because when men were staying at home and then mm-hmm. they started getting concerned about it and then they were they started telling their companies that we are not able to do the work right we are going through the issues it's when the majority was affected women were working from home all the time other than women members from lgbtqi plus community have been dealing with stress at work and in their personal life and from the social construct for the longest time right but uh, because it was such a small percentage of uh, an employed population for any company it didn't really matter that much nobody cared about work life balance before nobody cared about how the work setup is at home nobody cared about uh, uh, what happens when you are sitting in home all day and trying to balance between work responsibilities and home responsibilities and other things it only became a concern when the majority of the population started talking about it so earlier out of 100 people who were working in a company maybe two were saying something mm-hmm. maybe then five more were saying something but the other 80 were not saying anything right 80 90 people so for the com- for, for company it is like okay only eight people are bothered about it not that important mm-hmm. and the other 92 people started talking about it as far as like okay ma- mental health is really a big concern right but what is that mental health what is that intersectionality for women it's a very different thing for queer individuals it's a very different thing what affects my mental well being and emotional well being in the workplace is very different from a cis male right and even there i'm not a fan of compartmentalizing it i'm not going to put all the men in the one box and say that all of you are sorted mm-hmm. no right that's also not there everybody has what is diversity at the end of the day ashi just acknowledging that each one of us are different for one reason or the other the effort is into identifying what makes one person different from the other person and why do you do it so that if for some reason those differences are creating any frictions Absolutely. in the team mm-hmm. then as a leader you want to step up or you want to step in and you want to remove those frictions so that everybody that has been brought together can be productive can feel safe can focus on the work it's as simple as that right but we're not really spending too much time deep diving into this and you know as uh, we are having more conversation it becomes more clearer that a lot of companies are kind of you know taking this um, and and just in general the whole theme and the idea is being taken as a csr initiative or just you know to do thing uh, i'm hopeful and uh, i do believe that companies are slowly taking it um, as an important measure and then that things are uh, you know probably uh, picking a notch up uh, every other month but i'd like to understand from you how have you seen developments uh you know take place in the last couple of years and where do you see us heading in the near future the things have changed a lot mm-hmm. right um to to keep the one of the reason i keep putting the focus on what is not happening is because uh, it's a very conscious effort to keep reminding myself not to forget you know just because we are taking two steps backward don't oh, sorry one step forward doesn't mean that we forget that we have also taken two steps backward right case in point right now as an economy we have the lowest female labor participation right now if you talk to anybody everybody will say but how is that possible palavi and yashi we see women all the long working 
right? I have so many more women. Last year, two years ago, we only had two women. Now we have 20 women working in the team. All that is fine, but that does not take away the larger picture that India right now has the has lowest labor participation from the female side as it had in the past. Now, um, yes, a lot of positive has happened. We have laws that have come in. We have more conversations happening around it. We have more forums where now employers know that if I'll not listen, then there are still other places where people will, in my team can go and talk about it. It's a, just a lot of patchwork which is happening and more of reactionary work rather than starting from the base. Um, why I say it is because culture building is still looked at or safe or inclusive workplace as a culture is still looked at something that is of a for luxury. But, uh, at least now every company that I speak to knows that there are laws in place. Okay, that's, that's first and foremost, very important, very major and positive thing. Now companies, even if for one month in a year, okay, uh, they still look forward to the Pride Month. Mm -hmm. right? Right. They now still plan towards women women's day right uh, maybe five years ago they were not even aware a lot of companies were not aware and did not know what to do on pride month or is there what is there any relevance is there something that they can do but now the companies now these brands want to participate um participate for something which is more meaningful in long term is something that we don't really have to expect from all of them overnight that they're going to like completely uh, revamp themselves but uh, the conversation has started um the asks are there I talk to so many leaders wherein they want to know that is there something that can be done more for the long term. A lot of contemplations and these dialogues have started happening, which is a very good thing. See, mm -hmm. um, Companies are also putting more dedicated and more comprehensive policies in place. What I mean by that is they now want to not just look at posh policy from one single gender sex angle, but they also want to understand how can we make it more comprehensive, right? So that thought process is already thinking that uh, how can we include more? Right. Or who all can we include? Um, uh, is it 10 out of 10 companies that I talk to and individuals like me talk to? No. But uh, it's not zero. Mm -hmm. Right. It may not be like something amazing that we can flaunt. But once again, we have to see that the journey, journey has improved. Okay. Right. Okay. Number three, I see more and more companies now coming back and looking for creating DEI policy. What is different is that there's no such thing as DEI policy. Mm -hmm. DEI needs to exist in processes. Um, uh, structures, uh, your languages, your experience, and so on and so forth. So you don't make a policy on diversity. You don't make a policy on equity or inclusion. It's something which becomes part of the DNA. But it's so beautiful when companies come and say, we want to have a DEI policy. What's something else to then work them through that how do you actually incorporate right. it in different aspects of your business? Um, companies also now want to know things more from a data perspective, right? Because what happens now is that if you want to do something, then you want to begin with by understanding where exactly do we stand. So reality check. DI audits uh, in terms of us have really increased a lot from the past couple of years. These are all the positive things, you know, that I'm looking at seeing. How it gets balanced by not so positive is that uh, imagine if we could understand that being healthy, is not something that you do after a certain age. You don't say I'll be 15 years old and then I will start thinking about being healthy. The, the second side of it is that, that uh, when we talk about uh, building safe and inclusive workplaces, it's still looked at as something which is a luxury or uh, which is an accessory. Whereas what we keep reminding or we have to keep reminding everybody who is building a workplace, um, is that this is a fundamental and a foundational element of an organization. You don't you don't 
make the building and then say that we will uh, we will we will take care of it afterwards because then it's a patchwork right if you are building something which should be able to last the storms and which should be able to last uh, um you know every tear and wear and tear that will come its way um even even the most extreme shocks that can come its way you think about all those things when you're putting the foundation of that building right um but right now that's a different thing so i always look at safe and inclusive workplace experience or culture building more as a dna aspects wherein i find it a little ironic that uh, companies and sometimes the leaders say that we are too young to be thinking about it um so okay so for the next 10 years or 5 years you don't care if you're eating junk but uh, after 10 years or 5 years is when you're going to start focusing on your health that's when you will see that okay now is the time for us to assess what kind of food are we eating that's 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 actually you've already corrupted the foundation and that's why it takes a lot more work because you have to unlearn a lot of things as an organization um you have to revisit the way that you have been doing a lot of work from process policies language everything the experience of individual there's a lot of damage that is already done for people like me to step in and say that okay now we are going to fix it uh second thing it's not really something that expensive it's not like suddenly you have mm-hmm. only have to consume the most exotic fruits and vegetables out there right um but that's how it is perceived so and i have a question here um, sorry if i'm interrupting please go ahead ask no 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 tell me tell right, me so i'm trying to understand if this is a mindset issue or do you think it's a budget issue that companies perceive um why is it that you know only after a certain uh, stability let's say do companies start looking after dei and uh, you know stable policies and inclusion and so on but it is a budget issue actually right that uh, first and foremost um it is going to take a lot of time if you have already done a lot of damage right to bring you first to a neutral level and then improving you is going to take a time like so one we are starting to late if you start early then it's just small small things you will not even need to ever hire somebody later on to come and either these diversity audits or to revisit your existing policies and tell you what is it that is making them exclusive or uh, think about the kind of capacity building conversations in your team because from the base level itself everything that you will do will have the element of dei because yeah. everything that you will do you will ask yourself this question am i making a decision which is going to contribute towards creating a safe and inclusive workplace for everyone right for everyone so every question will have sorry every action will have this as a questioning right so these three things are missing right now and that's why it's perceived to be very expensive and i think it should be expensive right i know a lot of time companies come and tell us that oh but this could have been done in this x number there's no way this can be done in that x number right yes there there's the this market is also very ambiguous right now about dei is an advisory is what max to max in the past 5 years it has picked up uh in a in a it has blown up it has okay. picked up everybody is looking for mm-hmm. uh, somebody to come and be part of their company or uh, work with their organization but uh, do we really know what we are looking for it's a very new thing in the market so do we we don't really know who we are looking for we don't know how to assess so the only metric right now in the industry is uh, money right so that's that, that's where we are confused right absolutely that makes sense you know how things kind of uh, starting early would would definitely give you a better result i think that's a common business uh, sense that it's high time we recognize i mean think of it no yashi if you always were taking care of your health yeah right um some day actually you will not even need a gym instructor or a health coach or anybody like that because uh, 
um, everything else is sorted, right? To live a healthy life. But uh, you not only need somebody to come and fix your habits first, you also need them to then first bring you to the neutral level and then work with you to take you to a desirable level. Right? It is long growth. The journey itself is long and it is going to take time. Nothing will get done in five or six months. I hope this is uh, this has been you know a great takeaway because and more than that and it's it's uh, just general uh, understanding of how policy and or just how you know uh, workplaces should function that uh, we've discussed so far and um, I am so thankful that you know uh, you've had the time to come and have this conversation with us and uh, I'm very sure the listeners must have enjoyed this session so far. Thank you so much for your time again, Pallavi, um, and have a very good evening ahead. Thank you so much, Ashi. Always a favorite topic to talk about and uh, always happy to do a deeper dive in this. Uh, see, DEI is a journey. It's right. not a policy. It's a journey. And uh, it's very important for us to know where to start in the journey. What will it take for you to reach? Where all you can reach as a company, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but this is not something that you just uh, decide one day and uh, pop a pill and then it happens. It's not something that is on paper. So I'm glad we had this conversation and looking forward to much and many more many more definitely and uh, is a journey that uh, you know i hope mo many more people take and uh, again thanks to the listeners for joining in today thank you palavi thank you for tuning in we hope you enjoyed listening check out our other episodes as well in the series connect with us at www.lakshhr.com this is your host yashi signing off until next time